The University of Texas family suffered a shocking loss this week as longtime radio host Sean Adams passed away suddenly on Thursday. As a 20-year-old trying to make my way in the industry, working with Texas student media, it seemed like Sean went out of his way to make me feel welcomed among the more tenured journalists, and if you asked anyone that knew the man, they'd say he made them feel the same way. A missed opportunity to intern with Sean my senior year at Texas led me down a path that put me in Oklahoma, where I met my wife and started a wonderful family. I feel as if I've told that story to him, he would say the good Lord wanted me in Oklahoma, so you better make the most of the opportunity. A moment of silence for Sean Adams, a man who impacted so many and a life that ended too soon. Nation. We are your source for Texas Longhorns news, sports, and opinions. And if you like what we do, it would mean a ton if you would share this with your friends, leave us a review or rating on iTunes. It would help a ton with visibility. Thank you again so much for listening in. And I am joined this week by a man who was born rough and rugged, but he's now addressing the mass public, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you doing today? Well, I'm uh, I'm recovering. Uh, I'm not one for roller coasters, but we had a pretty good one. Um, my uh, my emotions are finally settling down to an even keel, but uh, doing all right. Yeah, it's it's it was an interesting. It was a late night. I'm I'm a father now, so I don't have a ton of those late nights anymore. So trying to stay awake. Uh, it was it was tough. Those West Coast games. Gosh, I never hope Texas ends up in the Pac-12. So we are going to spend some time this week talking and breaking down Texas double overtime thriller, had some shades of 06, had some shades of uh, 2016, and we'll also do a little bit of a conference preview as Texas heads in to a bye week. So Kyle, Saturday night, the good, the bad, the ugly, Texas had a lead with with 45 seconds left, gave up a last second drive. The defense had been clutch all night. They were tired, couldn't get it done, gave up a last-second field goal to go into double overtime, and then double overtime happened. You've got a young team facing a first-round draft pick, and those types of things happen. Ellinger had a, had a freshman mistake, a fumble in the second overtime period. USC kicks a field goal to win. Um, so, Kyle, you and I are, are from the same school of thought. We don't believe in moral victories, but I do think if you don't take lessons from a loss, it beats you twice. So what what did we learn about Texas this weekend? Yeah, I, th- I think that's exactly right. There's there's no moral victory. I loved uh, Herman's quote. We were just talking. Herman's always good for a good quote, but he, he said he told him uh, there's no moral victories. They don't put the loss in parentheses, and yeah, but they played hard. Um uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think that's the exact attitude to have. Is we're Texas. Uh, it's not ever good enough to be close. Uh, I think maybe we settled a little bit into that mentality the past few years, and I'm happy to see the coach um, want to get away from that. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, don't, I think if you if you told any any fan, any any person covering this team, anyone who's even watched casually, that there would be a shot for Texas to hang with the number four team in the country. All the weapons that USC had, all the struggles we'd seen in Texas, especially after that week one uh, opening, just to have a puncher's chance in this game, you would have said, yeah, right, or wow, what an incredible performance. Everyone will be thrilled. Um, but the thing was, this was a winnable game. There's a few uh, balls that break, calls that get called, play calls that you know do or don't get called, and, and this is a completely... 
different outcome, and we're, we're having a completely different conversation here. But I think the thing that doesn't change is what you said. That to me, that was an all-time defensive performance. That was as good as as any Longhorn defense I've seen. Uh, you know, probably since the Muschamp years, um, and even then, I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe before, go back to the. Uh, the championship team. I mean, this this was. I think people might be overlooking because um, USC had a couple mistakes. We had the fortunate kind of interception, uh, pick six to to start off our scoring in the in the first half, and uh, it was off a drop pass. But I mean, truly, it doesn't matter if you got one break or, or, or two breaks. This was a defense that was, as we've been asking for for a couple of weeks, playing downhill, playing a hundred percent, full speed, uh, and making things happen. But uh, I mean, if you go back and, and rewatch this. Uh, this is a, a defensive masterpiece, and, and Orlando has to get a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. You can you can ask my wife, which none of you would have the means to do so, but if you asked her, I kept saying throughout the first half, they can't keep this up. This is this is a Herculean effort. They can't keep this up. This is gonna this is gonna end. I think I texted that to you. Like they can't keep this effort up all game. And then they freaking did. Like, I don't know I don't I don't know where this came from. I don't know where the switch flipped. Um, this is a completely different defense. I mean, uh, we'll talk about it kind of specifically some guys, but you saw um, you know, Malik Jefferson, we talked about last week, um, who played outside of his mind like he I said last week he's not that flashy player and then he blows up some runs in the middle and just became a flashy player he was um you know Gary Johnson my gosh like reason why he was the top Juco guy like he is a heck of a ball player and two weeks in a row he's been disruptive in the backfield and and got the job done so Kyle what else did you see from the defense that that made the difference against USC well um I, I think, you know, you start right at the top, and I think this is the best game we've ever seen Malik play in Burn Orange. Uh, he's had this promise, and we've talked about it many times. Um, he had nine solo tackles. I, I rewatched some of that game uh, today and uh, just watched him. Uh, there was times he came over from the middle linebacker spot on, on bubble screens and ran down dudes from behind. If he didn't make the tackle, it may have been another, you know, 30, 40 yards. There was times, like you said, he was blowing up A-gaps and, and, and making tackles, you know, four yards in the back backfield uh in fact you know he had that that big momentum changing i thought it was going to be the kind of the game winning play in the fourth quarter uh on usc's kind of most usc drive where they really were getting some things going uh, i think it was a 14 or 12 play drive and uh malik had a big tackle to kind of stem the tide uh and then uh two plays later chris boyd broke up a pass in the end zone uh ended up getting the ball back that's where the texas uh scoring drive in the fourth quarter happened and as you know I thought right there, wow, I thought back to that play and said that's Malik uh, being the leader, not just making the plays, but making the plays in a way that lifts the entire tide, the energy of the whole team. Uh, but it wasn't just him in any way. I mean, you could you could call out probably a you know a half dozen guys at least on that defense. Um, obviously, Holton Hill was incredible. He had a huge uh, fourth down tackle where he was uh, a step behind. The guy was... Uh, clearly, speedster about to get the the fourth down conversion. He he uh, reached that perfect form tackle, kind of uh, grabbed him like a uh, someone bulldogging off a horse at the rodeo. Grabbed those legs and pulled him up <laughs> off the ground. And uh, and just a really really cool stat. Um, when I was doing some research before this game, UT has not given up a uh, fourth down conversion this year. Uh, they had the goal line stand in the first quarter, uh, which was incredible and really set the tone. But they're uh, uh, opposing offenses are 0 for 5 on fourth down against them. Um, and so that's, uh, you like to see that. That's that's indicative of some heart. Um, I I liked what I saw from a couple of the guys, and I, I 
don't want to sit here and hog all the airtime because I could talk for another hour just about uh, individual performances. But was there anyone who, anyone who stood out for you or anyone that uh, any player or anything that uh, you particularly liked? You know, I'm I'm a I'm a down in the trenches guy. I'm a, I'm a big uglies guy. First of all, as as a former big ugly, I feel like I'm not that ugly. Uh, but I think <laughs> you saw Puna Ford play like Puna Ford is going to do. Like he has been yes. for the last couple of seasons, the most consistent guy on that defensive line. Um, and I I pointed this out to my wife in in early on on that fourth down stand. Malcolm Roach had the most perfect like point of attack and squeeze down. To, to blow up that run play like that is we talked about it after week one like what's the difference fundamentals and what was that absolute fundamentals that's the first thing they teach you in in junior high defensive line is meet your guy at the point of the attack squeeze down compress the hole let the linebackers make the big play like that that was perfection without that usc scores there so it, it's just absolutely it's it's fantastic. Um, you know, that the D line played better than I think I've seen them in several years. They, they reset the line of scrimmage a yard behind the ball and allowed the linebackers to make big plays. That's why Gary Johnson was allowed to fly around. That's why Malik could blow up runs in the a gap and, and make open field tackles. It, it was phenomenal. And that was, that's, that's the telling thing for me is when the defensive line shows up, this team is unstoppable because there's so much talent. There's a ton of, of talent. There's, there's obviously we, we can keep harping on it, but Malik played up to his billing and Gary Johnson played up to his billing and Puna Ford played up to his billing and Charles and who played up to their billing. These are talented guys. They just need to play like it every once in a while. Well, and I think one other thing we kind of harped on was, was some of the secondary play. Obviously we've been praising Holton Hill, um, but Deshaun Elliott, uh, finally we saw um, some of the safety play that we've been looking for in the off season and uh, he did everything short of uh, of throw hands that he uh, he hinted at his his freshman year when the sidelines cleared against Baylor, but uh, almost had a third interception, returned the first one for a touchdown, and the second one for I think another twenty five yards to put uh, to put our defense in what should have been scoring uh, position or our offense in scoring position. Unfortunately, uh, we answered it as we did many times in this game—a really brilliant defensive play with a. Uh, turnover or a poor series of offensive play but uh but I think one guy I do want to call out just because I feel like um he's been either overlooked or a little bit talked down upon uh and, and maybe rightfully so but I think Wheeler had a great game I think he was a little bit unsung because you saw Malik making the plays you saw Gary Johnson uh just being a little bit of everywhere but Wheeler uh was was pretty uh was pretty good in this game and like I, I said uh last week I believe I think we found a trio there, and Nashawn Hughes will get in and get his work at different spots on the field. But I think when we have three linebackers, and whether that means Malik and the nickel and those two guys playing linebacker, but whatever that combo is, I think you're going to see the three of them on the field together and see some uh, see some really interesting looks. The the ability, the stuff they allow you to do. There was one uh, overload blitz on the on the fourth uh, in the fourth quarter on one of the last drives. Actually, when Darnold had that jump pass, it'll probably make his Heisman reel. Unfortunately, uh, it was a great call on an overload blitz. They literally had, uh, I don't remember who it is, a linebacker over the center and everyone else to the right, uh, and, and uh, USC was man-blocking, and they, they later adjusted and actually blew it up a little bit later when, when Texas tried something similar. Um, but, uh, but Malik got a free shot at, at Darnold, and if Darnold doesn't make a, make a Heisman quarterback play where he steps up and, and jumps over you know a, a blue-chip linebacker and hits his tight end uh that's the game right there and so uh you know like I said having those guys having uh talent all around the field is going to let Orlando do some of the things that I think in week one we said they need to get back to basics they need base defense they need to do that just go out and play well now we're finally starting to see what he's trying to do and what I think this defense can do at full flush absolutely you know it 
there's a there's kind of an embarrassment of riches at linebacker because it's not just the ones. It's not just Malik and and Anthony Wheeler and, and Nashawn Hughes, but but the shark. You know, Jeffrey McCullough got there, yeah. and blew up a couple of plays, and uh, yep. Brett Hager, who hasn't seen a ton of the field this year, is a heck of a linebacker, and he was the best linebacker on the field last year. So there's an embarrassment yep. of riches there, and it's going to go a long way in this you know this three three five defense that they're playing. You need a lot of bodies because your linebackers are blitzing a ton and they're pass rushing a ton and they're dropping back in coverage like these guys have to be the best athletes on the field because they're not just doing one thing they're able to do multiple things but it wasn't all great on the defense and we won't harp on this too much but you know texas is a couple of dropped usc passes from from this being a two-score game you know a couple of a couple of passes yeah. bounced off usc receivers and um the usual suspects are uh still suspect in the secondary so what what is it going to take, Kyle? What do you think the the secondary is going to need to click going into Big Twelve play? That is a heavy passing league. Yeah, I think that's that's a big one. Is is USC plays a pro style offense, and, and we lined up uh, and and played. You know, like we said, an incredible game against it. Uh, we're going to see some fast, wide open spread. Um, you know, not even run and shoot, just shoot and shoot and shoot offenses <laughs> that. Uh, are coming up here in the next couple of weeks. So the, the promising was even even though I think uh, our non Holton Hill cornerbacks didn't have a great great week yet again. We did see a couple of plays. Like I said, Boyd had the had the touchdown breakup. Would have liked to see him on the other side of some re- receiver, receivers a couple of times. But um, at this point, it's just kind of a show me defense. Show me that you can do this. Show me that Orlando can can uh, port this and make it work against uh, you know a team that's this uh, spreading wide open and can do this. Um, I think Malik at the nickel is a really interesting wrinkle. And I think uh, that allows us to, to do some things, but I do think we need to uh, need to stick with what's working. One thing I hate, and we did it in this game and, and it's not a coach Orlando thing. It's a, just a football coach thing is they went to prevent. They did three on the line waiting for the, uh, for the deep ball. And I think it was Wheeler. They had spying Darnold um, and left the, uh, the running back to slip out and get that, that touchdown. But uh, also, I mean, there was uh, both Holton Hill, who we've been praising, and Deshaun, who had a fantastic game, took poor angles, and Bonnie got rocked on a block that allowed uh, Ronald Jones to switch the field entirely and, and turn that into that touchdown, which is inexplicable and unexcusable. And if it doesn't happen, you have a different outcome in this game to seal uh, the end of the first quarter. Um, and similarly, in that fourth quarter, when there's 45, actually after the return, 39 seconds to go 70 yards, and uh, and they didn't get it done. And so those two, if you, if you, and if, if you take those out, you have a, you have a win. You haven't literally the best defensive performance I've ever seen. Like I wrote down just a couple of the series, the game started with, with a fourth down stand. The second defensive possession was a, uh, a fourth down on the one yard line goal line stand, which we talked about was incredible. Uh, unfortunately that was met immediately with an interception uh, right after, but uh, then Texas with the ball in their own 34, uh, held them to five yards and forced a punt. Uh, three plays and fumble from the offense. They come back six yards, given up, force a 45-yard field goal, or negative six yards, excuse me, to force a 45-yard field goal when they got the ball in the Texas 28. That's two incredible scoring positions that USC should have been up. If they don't get that goal line stand, if they get at least some points off that, they should have been up two to three scores. Um, so, And that just continued throughout the game. I mean, there's a point where the defense was on the field 12 minutes in the first quarter, and you just can't ask them – to not be a little bit tired at the end of the half, to not want to sit back on your heels in a prevent defense when you've been downhill for 46 plays, you know, and you haven't, you haven't stopped. 
I, I get it, but you know that's just that ninety nine percent perfect, one percent not, and you saw how that ended up at the end of this game. Unfortunately, there's there's such a thing as being tired, and it is what it is. Like you when when your offense can't can't get you a breather, those those breakdowns happen. That's just part of any any sport. You know, you don't get a breather, and and those mistakes are gonna happen. So we're we're gonna hit on one last thing for USC, and then we'll move on to Big Twelve previous to not get too long this week, but. The freshman. We we didn't know before the game who was going to be in the backfield for the Horns, and then you know maybe twenty minutes before game time, we we hear that Ellinger is going to be going to be the guy in in the biggest game of his career. You know he didn't play a ton his senior year. He played Katie and then hurt his knee, and so he had San Jose State last week. And then hey hey fish, let's go to the the one of the most historic places in college football and play one of the best teams that. Of the in the league in the in the uh, in the nation at this point, so um, he was he had an up and down game. You know, four turnovers, you know, two picks, a fumble in overtime, a fumbled snap, uh, but just as many big plays that he had. We had some big plays. So, so Kyle, what did you see? You know, we we uh, we talked about progression on the defensive side. What did you see progress with with Ellinger in in the in the passing game? I think he actually progressed as as the game went on, just in his. Uh, comfort level. I mean, it can't be easy when they, you go back and, and literally for the entire week leading up, it's highlights of the quarterback who wore number 10 playing probably the best game of college football that a quarterback's ever played. And you're like, okay, that's that's the expectation for me in, in this game, my, my second uh, real game uh, out of high school. Great. So I understand and maybe the butterflies in the beginning and maybe um, not setting him up to be successful at times. But I think as the game went on and he settled in, uh, he still had some freshman plays because he is a freshman, but he also made some some great plays. And, and with his feet, and he scrambled, and you saw why the coaches really, really salivate over that part of his game. Um, I mean, I loved the the play later on when he uh, he scrambled on a, on a third and five, and he got four yards. And if you look at a, a box score, that doesn't sound like a whole lot, um, but he uh, he broke two tackles, spun out, uh, got to the the pylon with two guys coming at him, and, and kind of spun half, but more just turned his back and said, I'm going to lean and let you hit me as hard as you can because I'm getting towards this. Didn't quite get it, uh, but then immediately went back to him on the quarterback power and got the first down uh, on, the, on the fourth down conversion. Um, so, I mean, just showed some grit, showed some heart. Uh, that, the drive um, at the end of the game that should have been the game-winning drive, a 14-play, 91-yard drive, was, was incredible. I mean, with that much pressure in the fourth quarter, on the road, your first start against a real team, you know, as an 18-year-old kid, uh, he did it, and and they they didn't run the ball in this game to to take that pressure off him. This was all all him, and 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 doesn't mean that it was a world beating performance and everything was perfect. But uh, he showed a ton of heart. He showed intangibles. He showed um, a playmaker's instinct, and and you have to give him you have to give him credit for that. I think ultimately uh, he knew who his weapons were, and he knew how to get the ball to them in crunch time, and how to ride that to success and. Uh, Again, if, if if the defense doesn't go into prevent, if maybe they don't get as big a return as they do on that last kickoff in the fourth quarter, if uh, if Malik gets a hand on him, you know, maybe we're sitting here talking about an entirely different narrative with wow, the freshman led them to victory on a ninety one yard, you know, drive to close out the game. That's incredible. Uh, so he's that close from the narrative being different. So I think he has to get credit for that. But there were some freshman things and, and like you said, I there were some things just on offense in general. Yeah, and and you know there were there were plays that he made 
or tried to make that he would have made at, at Westlake High School and would have won games and would have been on his huddle reel and, and would have gotten him a scholarship. But when, you know, at Westlake, you're the best kid on the field. And at USC, everybody was the best kid on the field in their high school. So uh, you, you, you've you got to realize that. But he, he's going to grow up and he's going to continue to grow up. We watched him grow up a little bit on Saturday. The, the kid that, you know, drove... 91 yards at the end of the game at the end of regulation was was not the same kid that started and and missed two fumbled snaps and muffed them coming in so I think there's a lot that that we can take away positively uh let's spin that forward let's look positive you know they're Texas heading into a bye week this week you know it's Herbert was talking about it today with the you know with the preseason practice you know they've been playing eight weeks of football and now they're going to head into nine weeks of Big 12 play. So they are kind of right at the midpoint of their season. And heading into heading into the Big 12 play, it's a completely different monster. They've played three different types of teams. And you know, the Big 12 has one particular type of team other than uh, Kansas State. Outside of Kansas State, I think it's one particular type of offense. So um, what are you looking to see? What are you hoping to compete in this high-powered conference? you got two teams that are in the top ten nationally you've got TCU in the top 15 I'd say two teams in the top 10 two teams in the top five so you've got I think it's a two and two and four if I recall correctly so what is it going to take for Texas to compete in in a, a loaded big 12 conference uh, I think the injury uh, bug is something you can't you can't draw up for but they're going to have to have to have answers for that um, that's where you have to get a little bit creative um, there's a bit of an offensive lineman crisis with Connor Williams going down and and uh, we're really hoping, you know, it's it's not on the serious end of that timetable for his return if he can get back this season. But I mean, the kid's a first round draft pick, whether he comes back or not. You wonder if he says, "I'm going to go ahead and take the insurance and and just get drafted and not try to hurt it worse." So can't fault the kid either way. But that's going to leave us in a really precarious place in our offensive line where we have really five guys that Herman said he trusts putting on the field, and I think we might have five total scholarship linemen, maybe six at this point. So. Uh, it's a tough spot. Um, offensive consistency is going to be big. If, if we can even get a percentage of the defensive performance we got, then we have to turn our focus to the offense. Um, I think a big part of that is is uh, finding the quarterback and finding which one of these two quarterbacks uh, gives us the best chance. But I think whoever the quarterback is, you need to get the, the ball in the hands of your playmakers. And I think uh, on, on this Texas team, it looks like that's going to be our wide receiving core. Um, we had some incredible plays uh, this week in the past weeks uh, from Colin Johnson, from Foreman, from uh, Reggie Hempel. Maps has looked looked you know like a game breaker. We still have guys like Deverney sitting sitting on the bench. Um, I mean, uh, little Jordan Humphreys had a huge catch in, in this past game. Um, so getting getting the ball in those guys' hands is going to be important, no matter who's who's uh, taking the snaps. Um, but I, I I do think. In Big 12, you have to score. Um, you can try to limit the, the offenses, these high-power, high-octane offenses, uh, but you're not going to hold Oklahoma State to 21 points. It's not going to happen. Um, if it does, Todd Orlando needs to get a $5 million raise. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, you have to score points. And so the other thing we didn't really talk about in this past game but I think is going to be huge is the run game. Um, establishing that, making that a priority. I mean, we, we came in... Uh, last week, and, and what do we know? But what we said, Texas has to run the ball. USC's given up, you know, 133 yards a game in the pass, uh, in 217 a game uh, against the rush. So Texas is going to run the ball. Everyone thought that Chris Warren had just really uh, looked phenomenal 
against San Jose State. That's what we spent a lot of our time last week talking about. And then you give Chris Warren four touches. You give Kyle Porter five. You know, you you really your only guy who ran the ball was was Ellinger, and that's not necessarily going to be a recipe for success for this Texas team. Um, so I think establishing the run game in spite of the line and what injuries you have there is going to be a priority. Uh, it'll take that will take the ball a little bit out of some of the offenses in the Big Twelve uh, out of their hands, but having a little bit of balance to help your young, even if you play your experienced quarterback, sophomore uh, quarterback. I mean, he lived off the play action with a Heisman caliber running back last year in the other form. And so uh, I think that's going to be important. It's going to be crucial to the, to the, to the talent and to the, uh, the line that we have is to, is to keep the defense guessing a little. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, Tom Herman said in his press conference on Monday morning that he wants Texas to be a power running team and he's not okay with the fact that, um, you know, his, his running backs got nine carries, but he also said, well, you can't fix that mid game, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, but they're going to fix that. He said, we're going to fix that this week. This is something that you fix. Uh, he said, we've already talked about it, uh, how we're going to fix running the football, uh, better. So that's, that's good. That's good that they're talking about. It's good that they're aware because, you know, like we said, going into, to USC, you've got to slow down these offenses. You've got to control the clock. You've got to, you know, even if you're trying to score points, you know, and granted Oklahoma state can score seven points in, in three seconds. So you've, you've got to capitalize when you do have the ball. It's not just time of possession, but it's doing something when you've got the ball. Cause Texas, you know, USC did win the time of possession battle, but it was only about a, you know, a seven minute difference or so. So at some point you've got to do something when you have the ball, you've got to be able to, to produce points. And like you said, um, you know, a guy like Colin Johnson makes a quarterback look really good. A guy like Armonte Foreman, when he's when he's on, makes a quarterback look really good. You've got huge, huge receivers that most defenses are going to have one guy that can match up with Colin Johnson. But you've got Colin Johnson who's six six, little Jordan Humphrey who's six two, six three. Yeah, he's he's huge. So you've got you've got two guys right there that you can exploit a size advantage on. You've got. You can, you can spread people out. So I think that's getting the ball to your playmakers. And that's something that, that Tom Herman talked about again today in his press conference, that um, one of the things you're going to work on in the bye week is, is getting Colin Johnson to be able to beat press coverage because you shouldn't be able to press a guy that big without, without getting punished. So that's something they're going to work on. So I think you're absolutely right. The other thing that uh, we have to talk about is, is the defense. Can the defense hold up? And, and, you know, even if they give this Herculean effort, um, like I said, OSU is going to score points. OU is going to score points, as sad as it is to say it. As much as I hate saying it, those two offenses are going to put up points. TCU is going to put up points. Will Greer and West Virginia are going to put up points. So you've got to find you've got to find a way to get one stop. Generally, the Big 12 is a one-to-two stop kind of league. If you can get two stops and get points on those stops, you win the game. So the defense has got to come up with one big stop, whether it's Malik blowing somebody up in the backfield on a third down, whether it's you know, Holton Hill or, or he to Hollywood, you know, coming up with a pick six or, or even just a, a batted down pass in a, in a big situation. The defense has got to come up with one to two big stops a game and the offense has got to, got to stink and do something with it. Yeah. And, and one thing I, I, I did like that Herman immediately after the game in the post game presser took some onus. It sounded like for at least open the door for um, was, you know, some ability to go back and review the tape on the calls by Tim Beck and, and by our, our offensive staff um, in getting those those points. I mean, he said, we'll, we'll have to look at the tape, but maybe we didn't call. Maybe it was O-line. Maybe it was running backs. So, you know, 
maybe it's on us. Um, but but I do think there were a couple calls in, in this last game that, that just didn't make a lot of sense. And, and I, I if we're going to be scoring those points, we can't have those. I mean, it, it's kind of simple offensive uh, tactical stuff, and that's the Big 12 excels at that. I mean, that's it's a pick-your-poison league, like you said. It's a multi-stop. It's a couple-stop league. It's a pick-your-poison league. Uh, almost every team can do that. Oh, you want to you you do this? Okay, we'll counter uh, over here on our one-on-one. Oh, you'll, you'll bracket over there like they did on Colin Johnson. We're going to attack you with trips or flare the, the running back out or bubble screens on, on you know, our numbers advantage. Uh, you're, you're run blitzing and you're coming in hard in the box. We're going we're gonna to let you do that and hit you behind with screens. Uh, we didn't have a single screen. Uh, there was just a few things that were pretty bizarre beyond just the distribution and giving the balls to our running backs that I, that I want to see in Big 12 play. Uh, in Assuming we can get some of that going and, and the defense can continue to do what they've done, uh, do you have any predictions? What do, you, uh, what do you think the record at the end of the season for Texas looks like, knowing what you know today coming out of the bye week? I think they can win five games for sure. I think I think a bowl berth is is definitely within the realm of possibilities. I mean, they're gonna have to win one or two games that they probably shouldn't. But I went into the season saying that they would. You know, I think you know whether it's you know OU or OSU, I think they're gonna beat one of those two teams. You know, anything could happen in Dallas, Texas. Anything can happen in that game, especially if if that defense comes out and plays like like they did you know, against USC and, and you get a good performance in the backfield and you actually run the ball. I think they, they have a shot, you know, it's a, it's a puncher's chance, but they, they've got a shot at picking up one of these games. I mean, OSU has shown that, that, that they're probably the class of the conference. I, I would say, um, you know, I think OU is a little bit, a little bit overrated based on an Ohio state win over an Ohio state team. That's not really that good. Um, so I do think, I think, just spinning it since I live in Oklahoma, I think OSU boat races OU at the end of the year. I really do. Um, <laughs> maybe that's just me. I wouldn't be upset with that at all. Um, I, I do have to ask this since you said you you live in Oklahoma. Is there any chance that that week when we play them coming up here in a few weeks uh, that you could try to sneak in and, and pull a Delilah moment and get that Gundy mullet? I think that is the key to their success, all the strength lies in those follicles he is a a follicular um phenom in in Stillwater, but i also think their success has to do with with uh, probably three first round draft picks on that offense may just have something to do with it as well so but again i think i think five wins in conference is not out of the out of the question i think for sure you know they're obviously going to i think they're going to beat tech i think they're going to beat uh kansas Fingers crossed, uh, mm. Baylor. It's a, it's a big rivalry. Yeah, Baylor is winless against three schools, including an FCS school. Iowa State going to Ames on a Thursday is spooky. You know, it, it's like playing on Mars. So I think, you know, I definitely think they can get the the three. You know, Tech, Kansas, and and Baylor. Uh, Iowa State is is I think a, probably a sixty forty if you ask me. Um, West Virginia, I think that's in Morgantown this year. So. Um, Again, that's another one that's like playing, playing just on the moon. It's it's weird. Uh, so they're obviously, I think, I think four wins is probably easy to call. I think five is is a little shakier, but I think, I I definitely think they can come away with a bowl berth and, and hopefully hopefully pick up a win and come away with a winning season. Here's my hot take: they 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 beat all four of the we should beat them: Tech, Kansas, Baylor. Uh, in Iowa State, because I'm much more concerned about Iowa State when Texas is is good and has a number by their name. Um, you know, if if there's no pressure on uh, to go in and, and win a names, you know, I don't I don't know how scary that is. It's still still they're a fun team to watch. I, I always love watching them, but uh, uh, I think that this is the year. I think Tom Herman breaks the the curse. I think 
the wizardry spell that Bill Snyder has held over over the uh, the UT program, including when he took a, a brief sabbatical and let Ron Prince uh, drink from his magic cauldron. <laughs> uh, what they've held over UT ends. Tom Herman, if he does nothing else for the University of Texas program, he uh, he snaps that spell. So that's uh, that's your fourth win. Whether they beat any of these next four or all of these next four, I doubt. Uh, but I think they get at least two. I'm going to say it, two out of the next four. West Virginia, TCU, OSU, OU, including not getting clean swept by the state of Oklahoma. They take one of the two out of Oklahoma. You heard it here first. Uh, Longhorn Republic, Kyle Carpenter, hot take, uh, and they actually get uh, they get six wins in the conference. So you're saying six wins? Wow. Okay. I think that's that's bold, but you know what? Well, we'll see how we we could be singing a completely different tune after Iowa State. They could come out and look like world beaters, or they could come out and and completely just lay an egg. So that that brings us to to the end of our show. And before we go, we're going to do uh, a little bang the drum. So Kyle, what are you banging the drum on uh, in the bye week heading into conference play? Uh, one thing I, I want to just take the time to, to give credit where credit is due. Um, I remember we kind of discussed in the off season what the depth chart might look like at various positions. And, and I remember one of the big shocks when it came out uh, was that Texas's kind of stud receiver last year and, and one half of, of the new uh, most notable non Shipley family uh, in in Austin was was Armonte Foreman being uh, not not running with the ones on the depth chart as as kind of the elder statesman in that group. Um, and, and after a solid season last year, um, we all knew Colin Johnson was was you know kind of the breakout guy. Um, but but I I really wanted to see how he would react to that. Um, and and it was pretty interesting. Uh, looking at his touch distribution in this game, he he didn't touch the ball in the first half. He uh, he had a kick return after their after their their first touchdown, uh, but that was it in the first half. Um, and then it came out in the second half. And I don't know if this was a Tom Herman adjustment or a Monty Foreman said I'm going to get open uh, or what it was, but uh, he returned the kickoff to open the second half. Uh, had the first touch on offense uh, was a play I think a run uh, designed for him to get get the ball in his hands. Uh, and he actually on the, they drove down. And scored. Uh, they had a field goal that drive, but had another, you know, lengthy uh, drive. And three of the touches on that drive, including I think two first downs, uh, were Foreman. Um, you know, and and he had the catch that put them in field goal range. The the last catch there, and then on the the ninety one yard, you know, really great Texas drive. He uh, he had the biggest plays on that. He had three touches again on that drive, including that incredible. The touchdown was great. Um, and it was great, really, by Ellinger ex- extending the play and, and Foreman getting the feet down and, and just kind of everything football happening right. But that fourth and ten play, uh, I mean, uh, he had he had just skied one above, you know, the eleven foot Johnson, and so you know it, it was looking a little bit shaky. And he put it high for for Foreman across the middle, which as a receiver is is deadly. You could just get your career ended. Um, but the you know the the senior went up and and. Uh, got his hands on the ball, took a shot, uh, but came down with it on the other side of the first down line, and that's what got us in position to score. Uh, I think two plays later, the touchdown again was Foreman. But I think a guy like that who who can buy in, who can be selfless. He hasn't said any words, you know. As everyone knows, he was the big recruit coming in. His his little brother obviously stole the spotlight with a with a Heisman caliber season last year, and got drafted playing for the Texans now doing well. Um, but you know, he could have just been bitter. He could have, he could have been pouting. He could have, uh, been getting in trouble doing whatever, but he's kind of, sounds like got his head right now. He's, he's, uh, practicing hard. 
uh, and he, he's getting the touches that that, that deserves. And uh, I'm really excited to see how uh, this season progresses and how he uh, he meshes with these two quarterbacks and how how uh, Foreman ends up his or ends his career at UT. You know that's that's not something bad. He's he's a heck of a talent, and I think if he gets his head on straight, and you know I mentioned it earlier, I think if he comes out to practice and works and 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 puts in the time, I think he's a guy that can be really really special in his last you know run at the Big Twelve Conference. I think he's again a heck of a talent. He could do a lot. I think another guy we, I've mentioned him before, and he's probably gonna gonna continue to be one of my favorite subjects on this team is is Colin Johnson. That guy is. Um, he's one of those sky's the limit kind of guys. Like he's, he's six, six, two Oh five can jump out of the stinking gym. There's not a, there's not a defensive back in the big 12. That's within four inches of his height. Um, so he's, he's a matchup nightmare. He really, really is, but he has got to dial in. Like Tom Herman said in the presser today, he has got to work on being more physical at the line. He's got to work on beating those corners. If you're going to come up and press a guy who's six, six, then I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to beat you off of the line. I'm going to put my right hand up and I'm going for, I'm going yard. You, you are not going to stop me. I've got to be Terrell Owens. I've got to be Randy Moss on those, on those press coverages. I've got to beat you quick get with a two step do you know get get rid of the hand fighting get rid of the pressing you know push off if you have to they're not calling that this year come to find out so <laughs> you put that right hand up and and beat them down the field you are a heck of an athlete so you've got to you've got to come out and you've got to set the tone you can't um you can't let smaller less talented corners beat you because you are a difference maker in that passing game you showed it on on Saturday and I think he'll continue to show it throughout the rest of the season and uh, and you know the the thing too, uh, you hate to say it, but he had 191 yards, and he could have had more. Uh, he had a couple, like you said, they're not going on the push-offs. A couple really crucial, I thought could have been calls. Um, but you know, like you said, the, the sky's the limit for that guy. Uh, when this offense gets in rhythm, and he's a big part of it, oh man, I think this Texas offense has the potential to be one that other people on other podcasts for other schools are saying, oh, man, we're playing that Texas offense uh, because the weapons are there, and he's a huge part of that. So I can't wait to see it. That's, uh, that's a great one. Thank you so much for listening in again this week. If you like what we do, it would mean a ton. If you would leave us a rating or a review on iTunes or wherever you find the show, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. We're on Google Play. Kyle, where can the folks find you on the Internet? You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter, uh, and from there I'll give you the links to everything good I write. You can just uh, just follow me there. You can find me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. You can find the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, and again, you can find the best Texas Longhorns news, sports, and opinions at Burnt Orange Nation. Thank you so much for listening in again this week, and until next time, remember the dream is free, but the hustle is sold separately. So get to work.